We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. If you'd like to get more involved in the conversation, join our Facebook group at Social Capital Network, a community of trust, reciprocity, and relationships. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. This week's guest is Ruthie Bowles. She is a U.S. Army veteran, wife, and mother to four young children. Ruthie currently runs a small content marketing agency, Defy the Status Quo, where they focus on bringing stellar content to their clients' marketing channels, specifically focusing on B2B consulting and service companies in industries like supply chain and business development. Ruthie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I am excited too, because you are in the world of marketing and I can talk about this topic forever. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. I know that you're going to have some amazing content to share with our listeners. So let's dive in because I think you've got a really good um, area that you focus on, which is authority marketing. So why don't you explain to our listeners, what is authority marketing? So authority marketing, at least the way that we execute it at DTSQ, is a blend of content marketing and online PR. So uh, in a lot of cases, what I typically see uh, across the very wide span of the internet is that you have people who do PR. They, you know, they connect with people like you and they, you know, want to be on your podcast. They may, you know, do speaking engagements. They might also, you know, look at more traditional PR media, like, you know, radio shows and things, but then perhaps their owned content spaces, things like their website, their social media channels don't quite match up with the person that they're presenting in all of these opportunities. So I perceive this as a gap in the marketplace. And so that's what we do is that, yes, we, we look at types of, you know, the different types of expertise showcasing opportunities, which there are, you know, they're just in abundance right now because so many of them, all of them almost are, are virtual Mm-hmm. Now, which means location is no longer a barrier for for speaking, for example, but also making sure that, you know, when somebody's intrigued by you from a podcast interview or a speaking engagement or something like that, when they go look and research and check out your website and, and now they see your videos and they see that you're really active on LinkedIn or Instagram or wherever it is, all of those things now match instead of you presenting as a very strong and knowledgeable professional, but having limited content yourself. And then the same goes vice versa. You have some people who create wonderful content and would actually appreciate getting out there and kind of getting in the spotlight and and using their personal brand to grow their business. But maybe they're not sure how, they're not sure where to start. They don't want to figure it out themselves. And so we, you know, kind of help from both ends. I love it. And the word that just keeps kind of circulating in my head as you're talking about this is cohesiveness. Yes. Really what you're trying to do and striving for is ensuring a cohesive look, feel, brand message across any and all platforms. Absolutely. Yes. Well said. 
Thank you. Well, you said it all. I just kind of <laughs> together. Um, let's talk about increasing our marketability for guest opportunities. How can we do that? Uh, well, that that really boils down to leaning into what makes you unique. And so that's something I talk about a lot, like on LinkedIn, is I talk a lot about authenticity. And especially in the B2B space, we we talk about authenticity, but when you look at a lot of the brands in, in any, whether it's B2B, you know, products, B2B services, whatever it is, we're kind of stripped of what we would consider an authentic personality, like a personality that a real person would have. And, you know, that's not to say that big brands can't still uh, embody that type of brand. It's just that uh, we often, too often dilute our brown, our brands down to professional, friendly, and competent. And when you look to your left and you see professional, friendly, and competent, and you look to your right and you see professional, friendly, and competent, how do you market it? And so what that means is leaning into what makes you unique. And so for us, uh, as people, it's, it's our stories and it's our experiences. And so as a consultant, um, I have a, a vast amount of experiences that I can tap as it relates to my story, but also my authority and therefore my marketability. So for example, um, I've done two podcast interviews that related to my military service. One of them specifically related to my military service as it's helped me as an entrepreneur. Now, that's not a story that everyone has, but you have stories that I don't have. But if I hadn't been able to talk to that specific podcast host about that story that I was willing to share in its highs and lows and therefore provide a great experience for his audience, I wouldn't have had that opportunity on his podcast. So leaning into the different stories and uh, one of my buzzwords for this year is intersectionalities, um, which I've picked up from working with some DE&I folks on their content, but like your intersectionalities as, you know, a, a woman business owner. In my case, I'm also a minority business owner, a veteran business owner. Um, I'm a mom. I, and I've done podcasts about the fact that I'm a mom and how that's impacted me as an entrepreneur. So there are a lot of ways to kind of lean in and use the niche audiences that are presented with all of the various groups that we can talk to and all of the interviews that we can do to increase your marketability and provide a better experience, not just for the host, but also for their audience. And that I think is paramount. I love that. Everything that you said there. And, and you taught me a new word here. <laughs> I wrote it down in intersectionalities. Um, yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That, that's, I gotta let that one kind of soak it in a little bit and, and, um, embrace it. Cause I think there's a lot, a lot that can be said with that. Absolutely. That's, that's a good word. Thank you for, for sharing that one, a new one today. Um, mm -hmm. but you did talk a lot about authenticity. Let's go a little bit deeper on that. Why did you decide to focus on authenticity as your pillar of work? So right at the beginning of all of this craziness, actually, I'll say probably about a month in, so maybe about April uh, this year, um, you know, because I had talked about authenticity, but it was more of something that I had done in a more intuitive 
fashion because it's just kind of the way I am kind of hard on the sleeve and, and it's, uh, I'm pretty empathetic. So I'm really good at reading a crowd or even, you know, reading, <laughs> reading, you know, just, just people, whether it's virtual or, or not. And I was sitting in a webinar and it was just chock full of what felt like to me as toxic positivity. It was April and, you know, the, almost everybody in there in this webinar, you know, in the chat and the people who were talking, were talking about how they were going to, you know, take this COVID energy and just use it to transform their businesses. And, you know, everybody was just real hyped up. And uh, that wasn't me that day, um, you know, and I from the outside looking in, I basically had, you know, nothing to worry about, which I was incredibly grateful for. Um, but at the same time, you know, I had all four of my kids home. My husband was now also home. Not that he's like, you know, uh, I don't want to say not what's the word I'm looking for. He's not a burden, right? Because he's an adult, he can make his own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and stuff. But at the same time, he's, he was not normally there, just like my children were not normally here. And it was just completely different, completely different. And so it was very stressful. So these people with all of their like super amped upness, I was like, no, this is not for me. I don't know what you guys drank in your coffee this morning, but I didn't get that in my coffee, mm -hmm. you know? And so I went on LinkedIn right after I, I, I recorded a video. I hadn't really done any videos on LinkedIn, not the talking head kind. Mm -hmm. And I just got on there. I, I didn't do makeup. I didn't do anything extra because what I wanted was for people to really understand if they were out there like me, who just were struggling, even if they had no apparent reason that peop, other people could perceive that they were struggling, just, you know, from kind of a, a mental health perspective. And I just said, if you're not okay right now, that's okay. And if you are feeling really good right now, just try and understand that there are people around you who might not be doing okay. So make sure you're doing some extra check-ins, but I just want, I took a talk for like five minutes, that's all, and created some space where people could be honest about how okay or not they were. And the post just took off. It took off, like people in my network, outside my network were just like, I thought I was the only one. Everybody just seemed so positive. I thought it was just me. And that was when something clicked right there. I was like, because I was intentionally authentic. I didn't do my hair, like my hair was done, like it was curly, but <laughs> my hair wasn't like super done. I didn't put on any makeup. I was just, I was in a, a purple t-shirt, I think that day. And I, I didn't do anything extra. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just show up the way that I am. So they can see me and understand that I'm really trying to connect here and just create this space. And, and because it took off in the response that I got, I realized that we weren't seeing enough of that. Sure. And that was why it became so such a pillar in what I do. Love it. That's a great story. And especially finding, um, finding your niche is always something that you know, when, once you found it, you're like, this is it, this is what I'm doing. And you just kind of own it and move on forward. So I love that. Yeah. Um, there's a need for it. Obviously there was huge need for it. If you, the response is high as it is. Um, and you know, I think that's why, um, that's why I think I have been attracted to what you're pushing on, on LinkedIn, because there's definitely, you're real, you know, I think Thank that's you. so important. Um, and we need more of that in this world. Yes. So let's talk about networking. 
relationships, marketing, networking, there's a lot of synergies between the two, but can you share with our listeners one of your most successful or favorite networking experiences that you've had? Um, so I've, I've been, I went through a lull where I didn't really do too much. I got a bit zoomed out and I've been more intentional with the groups that I've been going to, but my, one of my absolute favorite things that happens in networking groups, my very favorite thing is the, uh, breakout rooms that, uh, some of the hosts have been doing where you'll get, you know, five minutes, one-to-one or five minutes, small group of like, say four or five, and they'll give us like a, you know, a topic to discuss or whatever. And we can all just kind of go back and forth and get to know each other a little bit better. Most of the events that I go to are reoccurring. So it gives you an opportunity to build good relationships in a very low pressure way, but those breakout rooms, whether it's one-to-one or like small group type breakout rooms, especially if the attendance is 34. 40, 50, having those smaller groups or even the one-to-ones is like a, a huge thing for me because it's an element that we're missing in networking right now. Because if, if, if you were hosting an event, you know, a Keystone click event, and we were all able to show up, I would be able to walk around the room and, and just chit chat with people. Right. Yep. Um, but we can't do that anymore. So people are doing all these events. And, and one of the big reasons I attended events in person before everything was because usually before and after I had an opportunity to talk to people like, yes, I wanted to go learn something or experience something new, but I also got to talk about that and, and bond with people over that experience. So that the breakout room thing, um, I think that's, that's huge. And if anybody's running a networking event where they're not doing that, um, they should definitely consider adding it into the, the time frame that they have their event. Yeah, I agree. I, I've enjoyed that part of, um, of the networking that is happening, especially if there's, you know, like 40 or 50 people, on the call. Um, and there's other, have, have you been to any like events online using, uh, Hopin? I have, I have. Oh my goodness. I was just talking to somebody about this a little bit. Um, just a little bit ago. Uh-huh. Um, I really like the potential I see in that platform because it basically gives me everything that I want. Uh, I I love that they, they kind of have like the, the landing space for you. Like you get in, you can check out the, the live speaker, you can, or like the, the stage is what they call it. You can check out the stage. They, if the, if the event organizers running sessions, like workshop sessions, you can go in there. They have opportunities for like speed networking. Um, and then of course the chats, the chats are built in. I, I don't like it when I attend something and the chat options not available because I can't even talk to anybody at all then. And it just feels like I'm put in like this little timeout box and I'm forced to like, listen to you, um, instead of being able to interact. Um, and, but then also as, as a marketer, I love that they have a expo, like a virtual expo with booths for, for sponsors. And I think that, uh, all in all, I mean, to be honest, once I went to a couple of events on that platform, I'm, I'm really thinking, I'm like, I don't know, defy the status quo might have to have an event next year. Uh, because this right here, just it, to me, it just makes it really easy to give a lot of value to the sponsors, which has been a struggle. I know for a lot of event organizers, uh, because signage and, and having things like an expo booth were all really important in terms of the value offered a sponsor. Um, but then also kind of trying to replicate the in-person experience, you know, which we talked like a lot of things like the networking piece and whatever, was just very much missing, but I, I really like it. And I actually just signed up for another event in November that notch is doing 
doing, K-N-O-T-C-H. They're calling it the Content Revolution is the name of that event. And it's free. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to register for it. because it looks, it looks really good. And they have, they have really high quality content. And I I went to one of their other events earlier this year and it was really good. So hop in is something I'm it's, it's, it's a tool that's caused some, some thoughts for me. So I'm, I'm still mulling it over, but maybe, maybe we'll see a DTSQ event next year. Yeah. Interesting. Well, keep me in the loop on that for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, the platform I've attended a couple events, um, virtual like conferences. And I think that one's, like you said, Got got the most potential. I really enjoyed the the speed networking. Um, it'd be nice if you could put a little parameters around the type of people you want to talk to, but um, it was fun. It was a good experience. And like you said, the chat, I think is so important because it, it keeps you engaged with what's happening instead of yes. you know, just kind of slowly, you know, listening to the person in the background and you're, you're starting to work on some other projects and checking email and whatnot. You don't want to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um Good. Yeah. I haven't really talked too much about um, what's happening virtually from a conference standpoint. So I'm glad we covered that a little bit. Um, And I'm glad you brought up the Zoom rooms. I think that's a a great uh, resource for people to really maximize building some new relationships. Absolutely. So Ruthie, how do you stay in front of and nurture your network and your community that you've you've been building? Um, So LinkedIn is huge for me. Um, And I, I find that you know, out of all the social media platforms, I really hit my stride with LinkedIn. I, uh, you know, for any of its faults, you know, some of the features don't measure up, you know, when compared to platforms like Facebook, for example. Um, like, I think as soon as LinkedIn really beefs up those group features, like, I don't, I would probably spend a lot less time on Facebook. It's just Facebook groups, like really blow it out of the water. So, um, you know, I even have my own small Facebook group, uh, which allows me to really stay engaged with a a kind of core, uh, audience, if you will, but I probably spend the most time going back and forth between, you know, the Facebook groups and, and LinkedIn for sure. Um, because, I approach it in a very intentional way, um, you know, because when I see the same people commenting and, and reacting and engaging with my posts, sharing content and things, um, maybe I don't know why they're doing it, but it's definitely a basis for conversation. Like just today, I had a conversation with somebody and it's, you know, we had met in person at an event and we had, you know, kind of kept the relationship going, but I obviously haven't seen that person in a while. I was like, hey, I noticed you were really just showing the support on my post and I really appreciated it. Can we schedule a call so I can see how I might be able to help you? You know, and if the person's interacting and engaging on, on my content, it's re- I think it's pretty hard to turn down that type of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and not every conversation is like a client conversation. And so that's the other thing I think that a lot of people miss in terms of social media networking and social media marketing is not every person you talk to is a client, but when you go in thinking relationship first, and that's how I go in, uh, in terms of nurturing, I'm nurturing relationships and you never know what those, what type of fruit those relationships will bear, but it's always something. It's always something that's been my experience. It may, it may not be tomorrow, but it's always something when you're able to kind of nurture those relationships along in an intentional way. Yeah. I think that that's what's important is to nurture the relationships, but being intentional with your actions um, and I love that you're leveraging the groups. I have found so much power in Facebook and LinkedIn groups. 
And I, I think that that's, that's where everyone's hanging out right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. I don't think they're going to go away either. Once we can get back, you know, they may slow down a little bit, but there's, there's just so much activity and opportunity in there. Yes, for sure. And actually what I think will probably happen is, you know, doing Facebook interviews and things like that, like in people's groups, like that's a really easy in. And so looking as an authority marketer myself, um, and then like, you know, I've got my own podcast, I've got my own Facebook group. Like I could see totally, um, offering, you know, Hey, let's do a live stream interview in my Facebook group. as kind of like tier one. Let's see how this goes. Let's see if we've got good energy. Let's see how it goes. And then be like, okay, you know what? That went really well. How about we move up and like, hey, in a few months, like we can do a podcast interview, right? Because my, you know, podcast requires a bit more effort than a live stream interview. And then if you also hosted an in-person event, right? So they've kind of gone through these other lower level offerings in terms of what you're able to do for them and they're able to do for you. If, you know, that everything plays out well, then be like, you know what, I'm, I have a semi-annual event, uh, you know, one's coming up in a few months and you were just so good on the podcast. I'd love to have you at my in-person event. So the, the virtual things are kind of like lower hanging fruit because they require less effort, but it's still a great opportunity for people. And I can kind of see it scaling that way. And it also allows you to develop a relationship over a longer period of time from the aspect of giving. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I just kind of walked through that randomly, but, but it would be something I would recommend people consider, especially for businesses who organized in-person events in the first place. Yeah. Like before all of this happened, see how you can meld your virtual things with your in-person things yeah. or, you know, kind of tear them out that way. Totally. I love that. Um, yeah. Tearing them out. Yeah. Stepping stones. Um, mm -hmm. but you're also nurturing that individual, um, or, you know, your candidates basically for bigger speaking events. Um, yeah. Between those relationships, but also adding value to your established network. I mean, it goes both ways. Absolutely. So what advice would you offer the business professional who's really looking to grow their network? Um, I, I would say hands down right now, finding those really good events, the virtual ones to attend and, and network. Um, if you're practiced at speaking, a lot of those events are looking for speakers. So it's a great you know opportunity to attend an event and kind of get a feel for it. And then if you develop an idea that you can talk to the event organizer about, then you know pitch that idea and then you kind of get put yourself in like a position of authority there. Um, but attending new events, getting out of your comfort zone of seeing the same faces in that, you know, Brady Bunch Zoom checkerboard there will do so much to grow your network, like so much. Um, and then because we're all connecting on social media now, instead of handing out business cards anyway, it gives you that opportunity to nurture them on whatever social media channel that you're in, you know, schedule your one-to-ones and things like that. But um, the one of the big reasons I love events is that they are typically organized by like one person or two people, or maybe like a company is like the driving force behind it. Uh, event organizers and then podcast hosts like yourself, I consider them power nodes in my network mm -hmm. because I, the more I get to know them, the more I know how I can offer and, and help them out, whether it's recommending their event, recommending podcasts, sharing content, whatever. But the more they get to know me, they may come to realize that there are people in their network who are a good fit. And because, you know, if they continue to get to know me, I'm assuming they like me, then they may be willing to connect me with those people. Sure. 
So power nodes, event organizers, podcast hosts, video show hosts, um, conference people, like those are power nodes in your network. So when you get in there and show the support, um, it's the start of usually something very nice. Love it. Oh, I love that. You've got so many fun words you're teaching me and playing. With. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, yeah. And the events, you know, one of the things that I've found, and I, I bet you can appreciate this is a lot of these groups are looking for people to provide content to their, mm-hmm. their virtual events. So um, I know personally, I've just kind of gone out to a couple organizations and, and networks and said, Hey, I've got a couple of webinars. They're performing well. Would you mind would your group be interested in this? And um, I'd say more times than not, the answer is yes, because they're looking for content. So, you know, go out there and reach out to these groups and see if you can get involved in their virtual events. Absolutely. Love it. Um, All right. So if you could go back to your 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of less of or differently with regards to your professional career? Mm, That is a hard one. (laughs) only because my 20 year old self was still in the army. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because at that time I thought I was going to retire from the army, do like 20 or 30 years. Oh, but yeah. Oh yeah. That's, I wanted to be the first woman Sergeant major of the army. That's where I was aiming. Like there is no higher enlisted uh, position in terms of, you know, being up there. Mm -hmm. Um, But just from professional development and probably even some personal development, um, I would tell 20-year-old me to care a lot less about how how I was, I was quote-unquote supposed to be and hmm. who I was quote-unquote supposed to be. Um, leaning into often, like really examining my actions and, you know, being like, Hey, was this an authentic move or did I decide to do this because I I thought something about somebody else's perception of me? Sure. Um, That has brought me a lot of self-awareness, but also a lot of happiness. I've gotten to know me so much better. And I'm grateful that, you know, I'm, I'm 31 now. Um, I'm grateful that it happened now versus, you know, never. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm getting to know me so well and I, I like what I'm finding, you know, and I, I think that that is important to be happy in your own skin. And 20 year old me was probably pretty common of most 20 year olds. Uh, 20 year old me was very wrapped up and concerned with how she was perceived. Sure. Sure. 20s are hard. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, looking back, I'm like, man, high school was hard. But like, as a, a 30, 30 year old person, I'm like, I would crush high school. Right? <laughs> Send me back. Send me back. Yeah, now that I know all these things, let me go do that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one's definitely a challenging one. Um, all right. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to interview me. What is something that you'd like to ask me, Ruthie? Okay. Uh, where did the name of your company come from? Keystone Click. Mm-hmm. Um, great question. So there, there was one, there's two major driving forces. Number one was, is the domain available? <laughs> That's a big one. That is a big one. So when I started the company in 2008, the plan was to uh, do just strictly websites, website design and development. 
And then, you know, the world just totally shifted on its side as far as social media and all these other things. So we've really evolved, but who, who hasn't? Um, So website design and development, I'm like, what are words related to, to the web and really tell that story um, about what it is that we're doing. So upon uh, digging, this is kind of the the thread that got us to where we are today. Um, The web is information architecture. And oftentimes when you're looking at a website, the how information is organized, the the structure or the architecture of it is really what is the foundation for your website. So looking at architecture, I'm like, okay, let's play with that word a little bit. Cause anything related to like website design, you know, those mm-hmm. were all taken, you know, or someone's trying to sell for thousands of dollars. For sure. um, so uh, keystone is an architectural uh, term. And if you think of an arch, uh, the keystone is the, the brick that, or the stone at the center of the arch that kind of holds it all together. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was one. And, and um, I liked the use of the, that term because, you know, your website kind of is the central point of most of all or all of your digital activities. Um, and it was an architectural term. And, and we, so we played with the tagline of the key to your web foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, that was great. And click is the action, you know, all of your marketing, you want some sort of action to take place. So um, you know, pre uh, heavy usage of smartphones, you had to click to do anything on the web. Too true. That that's wonderful. I love that Keystone Foundation must have. Hmm. Awesome. I love that. That's a fun question. Thank you. You're welcome. That that was yeah. That's that was awesome. Can I ask you another one? Sure. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So from a marketing standpoint, is there any uh, tool or tactic that you feel the majority of businesses are sleeping on right now? Oh, there's so many tools out there. That one's hard to really, you know, I would say, I think a lot of businesses are missing out on any sort of marketing automation. They're Mm. not investing the time to leverage a CRM and set up automations. I mean, today's technology driven world and from a sales and marketing perspective you can create so many efficiencies in your process that will reap reward if you're willing to put in the time and money investment on the front end to get it done right yes that's a fact and then I would probably just say all the people who have the uh, disparate systems that don't talk to each other yes they don't realize how much time they're losing probably by not just paying a little bit of money and getting one system that does most, if not all of what they actually need. Totally. Yeah. And, and they're probably paying for things they're not even using. Yes, that's also true. And I'm sure it's, we're going to, we're going to have a reckoning probably of, of the fact that we've got, you know, a lot of businesses have all of their clients data stored in a whole bunch of different places. And, um, I think that there's there's probably going to be a reckoning for that at some point, especially as we we use tools and then abandon them, right? But we don't necessarily go and purge our data. Correct. If the account is inactive and we're not using it, then that's one thing. But if we don't go and purge the data, then that you know that software as a service company still has it. Hmm. Well, it's probably part of the hacking issues that's happening, you know, yep. over and over and over again. 
good questions though. Wow. All right. Um, well, do you have any final word or advice off our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network? Uh, yeah. So ask, ask on a consistent basis. Somebody uh, asked me earlier what I, what was one of the big reasons I've been able to, you know, continue kind of doing, you know, speaking events and, and podcast interviews. They're like, I feel like you're posting about something like every other day that you've done. And I was like, well, uh, when people ask me what they do, can do for me, how they can support me, I let them know, Hey, so yeah, you know, I know I mentioned it last time, but you know, I'm just still on the lookout for any like types of speaking opportunities, opportunity to share my story and experiences with people, you know, just to, to help them and, and, you know, start more educated conversations around, you know, the variety of topics that I talk about. And because I keep saying, it. Uh, when people see things, when they're scrolling on LinkedIn or Facebook and they see opportunities pop up, I am one of the first people that they tag. Um, a friend of mine, a PR friend of mine, she tags me on stuff. She tagged me on something the other day, like a week ago, that is going to result in me interviewing with the person whose post she tagged me on. But I got two other people that I'm going to be doing interviews with because she tagged me once. That's awesome. If I had never asked though, right? Like she wouldn't have known that that was something I was truly interested in doing. So it's something that I say and I ask consistently. I mention it consistently. So now I've got, you know, eyes where I normally wouldn't have them. And that's helped me so much. That's awesome. It's a great little tactic to, to implement that's going to reap many, many uh, rewards, I imagine. And probably my favorite thing about it is it doesn't cost anybody any money because obviously, like, I mean, honestly, like everybody's like, I would like clients, right? <laughs> clients. You want to send me some clients? That's what you could do for me. So of course, like we, I mean, we want clients, but by asking for those, Hey, keep an eye out for these types of opportunities. That doesn't cost them any money and they're going to trip across them anyway. Like I'm not asking them to go do searches for me, but if they come across them, please tag me. That's free. And they were scrolling anyway. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, that's great. All right, Ruthie, if anyone was interested in getting in contact with you, what is the best way that they can reach you? Well, LinkedIn is one of my favorite platforms. Uh, just search my name, Ruthie Bowles, um, or you can shoot me an email at Ruthie at defythestatusquo.com. Fantastic. We will include all that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It was my pleasure. Thank you again. Great conversation, lots of fun marketing talk, which hopefully people enjoyed. Um, all right, well, this wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Ruthie for taking the time to connect with us. If you want to continue the conversation on networking and building your community, join our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com, search for Social Capital Network. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email, Lori at socialcapitalpodcast.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.